good, well-meaning, even smart Christians can buy into. There's a lot of things that if you take what you say out of context, it could be very much misunderstood. Uh, this morning, I have developed a uh, <clears throat> interesting uh, scenario for us, uh, or for me anyway, as I preach today. I went back to Sunday school and had my uh, tablet with me and decided to move something and forgot that my tablet was there and wouldn't stay stationary, so it went off on the floor and broke. But I was able to recover it enough to where I'll be able to uh, scroll through here and get a message out, I hope. Uh, but if it dies and I die halfway through, just keep going without me. It'll be okay. Just throw a blanket over me and everything will be good. But a lot of things in life we misunderstand, don't we? Especially when we take them out of context. It's, and it's easy to do, especially Scripture. And the Scripture we're going to look at this morning, I have used, in, in, I've been using it wrong. I'm just going to tell you, I've been using it wrong. Because I didn't stop to calculate some of the dangers of using it the way I've been using it. So to you that I've shared this verse with you, I apologize. Um, hopefully what I share with you today, you will understand where I'm coming from. Um, it's interesting how you can study something and restudy it and restudy it and restudy it and then finally hit a, a whole new revelation. And as long as we stay open to learning, guess what? You're going to find those. The Holy Spirit's going to prompt you and He's going to teach you. Amen? So stay there. Don't, don't get to where you think you know it all. Alright? But what I'm going to teach you today and the uh, false truth that we believe in is going to impact you and it's, it's really generational. It will impact your kids, your grandkids, and their kids. Don't believe it. Don't believe Go to that first slide, Jeff. Don't believe it. A godly home guarantees godly children. I have the word guarantees capitalized and underlined and in yellow so you can't miss it. A godly home guarantees godly children. Not true. Not true. See, the tricky part here is the word guarantees. There are some things that you just shouldn't guarantee. That you shouldn't guarantee in life. There's other things that you can guarantee. I mean, there's some things I could guarantee you. I can guarantee you that God loves you. I can guarantee you that the Bible is true. I can guarantee you that if we go to Brahms and I got a, a, a bowl of butter brickle ice cream, I would eat all of it, every bite of it. I would not even offer you one smidgen of it. I can guarantee you that. But guarantees can be tricky. Especially in business, they can be tricky, can't they? I mean, some businesses will guarantee you full money back guarantee until you go try to use it. I'm fixing to find out if that guarantee of my Microsoft um, Surface is worth anything. Hopefully we're still within the window of that. My luck, it ran out today. Amen? Isn't that how yours works? I have, I have to guarantee it. That's right. 
But don't believe that a godly home guarantees godly children. Now, a godly home is important. Don't get me wrong. A godly home is very important. But I want to make it really clear that a godly home doesn't guarantee godly kids. In fact, be careful of anybody who gives you a guarantee when it comes to your kids. And your guaranteed life change with your kids in 15 minutes or less. If they say, I can guarantee you how to get your teenagers under control, be very careful. I asked my, my daughter-in-law yesterday what she's going to do when Kelsey turns 13. Quick came the reply, she's coming to live with you. <laughs> I haven't raised a girl like that before. I don't know how to handle it. But we'll figure it out. But I used to go to this verse. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they will remain upon it. Or it won't depart from them. Boy, I've used this verse. I've used it and used it and used it, and I have guaranteed almost parents that, boy, you know, you just teach them the right way when they're young. And when they're older, they're not going to depart from it. They're going to stick with it. They're going to, they're going to get back to God. I was lying. I didn't know that. Oh, but I thought I had to give some wise response, you see. Being the youth pastor of the church, I had to be able to give them a, a key verse to hang on to in the midst of their struggling teenage children. See, I was a youth pastor to teenagers. What an idiot. I didn't have any teenagers. You see, it's easier to tell someone how to raise teenagers when you don't have them than it is when you do have them or they've gone on through. Boy, it's real easy to tell them. It's real easy to tell them about parenting. Let me tell you about this. Well, you do this, this, and this, and your kid's going to fall in line. And then you have some. And everything that you learned in the book, just throw it in the trash. Because your kid's going to act like you. Or the other half of you. Now, all the time in the Phillips household, when the boys were good, they were Cindy's boys. But any time... And it was most of the time there was that bad streak running. They were my kids. I didn't get that. Because I saw a lot of her in those kids. You know what I'm saying? But I understood. I understood. But here's what happens when well-meaning, smart Christians read this verse. If you only read this verse, if you take this one verse and you ignore the dozens and dozens of other verses about parenting, and you take this one verse out of context, and you don't look at the whole of what Scripture says, you're going to buy into the myth of a guarantee. That's what I was telling parents. Your child will not depart from it, as long as you've taught them early on. But we can learn a lot from this verse, just this verse by itself. And we shouldn't view this verse as an ironclad promise. 
It's like anything. If you just pick one verse of Scripture, base your entire theology on that one verse, then you're going to mess up. You've got to look at what the Scripture says. And there's some real dangers. There's some dangers in seeing Proverbs 22.6 as a guarantee. First, if you look at it as a guarantee, it restricts free will. This is huge. This is huge. All throughout Scripture, God promises that one of the greatest gifts He gives us and gives our children and gives all of humanity is free will. Every child has free will. Even if you create a godly home, even if you pursue a godly home, even if you do everything right, your child still has free will and they can go in a different direction. I have seen in families some of the most godly parents I've ever wanted to be around or desired to be around only to have children that were hell-bent on being hell-bent. Understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be profane. They were going to do it their way irregardless. Oh, they've been trained. They've been to church since they were a baby. They knew it. They'd heard it. A lot of times you get that from preacher's kids, PKs. Baloney. You see, the problem with preacher's kids and them being troublemakers is that they have elder's kids who are leading them astray. I've been here too long and been in the ministry too long. If you see your little kid crawling under the seat, Usually in front of him or right behind him is one of the elders' kids pushing him or pulling him. One or the other. But every child has free will. And at the same time, it's a big theological point. Just because somebody is raised in a Christian home, it doesn't make them a Christian. Corey used to tell me it when he was 10. He said, Dad, I don't need to be baptized. I said, why not? He said, well, you're the preacher. But see, in his little mind, because I was a preacher, that was... All he needed. And I had to show him in the Bible where his decision has to be his decision, not because I do what I do. Talking to them last weekend in Houston about getting to church and being active in church and how important that was. He made the comment, he says, yeah, but I don't want a church where I've got to go stuff the bulletins. And he started going through all the mundane things that I had them do and help me do as they were growing up in the church. So in other words, he missed the whole point, didn't he? He missed the idea of serving. He missed it. Broke my heart to hear those words. But you see, he has free will, doesn't he? That one's had free will for a long time. How about another one? Another danger is it raises sky-high expectations. I see a lot of parents fall into this. I think it's probably true that if, if you were perfect, if you were perfect, you could raise perfect children. But unfortunately, <laughs> none of us are perfect. In fact, just a little reminder, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're not perfect. Go ahead. Now you might want to turn to the other one because you know you've got people on both sides of you. 
Some of you hesitated. Some of you didn't want to say that. When we put too much emphasis on a standalone guarantee, it puts too much pressure on us. Because none of us are perfect parents. None of us. There is not a blueprint. There is not a guidebook. Well, of course, the Scripture gives us plenty of principles of parenting. But there's no, if I do these five things, my kid's going to turn out okay. Because you can do all five plus five plus five plus twenty plus 119, 14, 20,000. And they're going to tilt their head and just do whatever. Got it? The good news is, and I want you to turn back to your neighbors and say, I'm not perfect either. So go ahead. Oh, your neighbor left. Okay, well, hers got so upset, she I'm out of here, so no. But the good news is that God knows we're not perfect. Amen? He knows we're not perfect. That's why He sent Jesus. None of us are perfect. If we could possibly be perfect, maybe we could guarantee this principle in Proverbs 22, but we're not. And God says, don't set the expectations so high. Let's go to the third danger. It results in your false guilt. You ever get the call from the school and your kid's in the principal's office and you're feeling more guilty than the kid when you're going up to the school? Because you feel like a failure. You feel like a failure. Oh my gosh, I I don't know how to raise kids. I I don't know what this principal's going to think about me. I don't know. I remember going to parent-teacher conferences. I hated them. Hated them! Because they were going to look at me. And it was so funny because it, it... Ah, there's there's two things that were said. I'll never forget. Went into one, and she goes, Oh, you're the pastor of the church. Like somehow that guarantees halo wearing for my children. Well, they, they had halos, but horns were holding them up most of the time. But boy, Cindy got one of them. Teacher goes, Oh, you're his parents. She said, if you don't believe half of what he tells you goes on at home, we won't believe half of what he tells us goes on up here. <laughs> she said, fair enough. But when our child does something that goes against God's plan for their life, somehow we think it's our fault. And it doesn't matter what age they are. How many of you have had that happen in your life. You're a parent, your child's called to the principal's office, or whatever. Sometimes as a parent, we've got to remember, our child has free will. I have a door at my house with a, with a hole in it, where someone's fist went through the door. I was asked by that child, some time ago, Dad, when are you going to replace that door? I said, hmm, whenever this person who put it there quits coming to my house. I want them to remember forever the temper that caused them to do that. Our kids have free will. You can do your best. You can leave it you know, they're not robots. You, you have to leave it in the God's hands. 
Do the best you can. And trust God through it. And then the last danger, seeing these verses as a guarantee, is that it removes grace from parenting. Now, don't, don't turn the page yet on your outline. I want to talk about this in a minute. Being a parent or rearing children is not about a guarantee. It's not about a formula. It's about following God's plan on a daily basis. It's about grace. God is a merciful and graceful God. You know how I know that? Go look in the mirror. Go look in the mirror. God wants to give you all the energy you need to raise children in a godly way, but God knows that we're not perfect. The Bible says God's grace is available to you each and every day. And let's be honest, we all need that grace daily. Especially when it comes to the tricky part of raising children. There is no formula. There is no five things and your kid turns out great. There are days when they are angels and there are days when they are spawns of Satan. And you don't know which day that's going to be. You get up ready to have a day full of the Lord's army kids, right? Only to find Satan staring back at you from under the cover with just two eyes. And they're ablaze. But here's what I want you to, to believe. I want you to do believe this. So... Because what, what really should we believe? And what is the truth? A godly home gives the best opportunity for God's children. For godly children. A godly home gives the best opportunity for godly children. I, I'm convinced of that. Could you agree with me on that? That that's the truth? Leading a godly home is important. Doing all that we can do to help our children become followers of Jesus is important. There are some things that you can do and do not give your children the best opportunity to become followers of Jesus. But, and we'll look at those in a minute. But it, Jesus reserves some of His strongest comments in Scripture for those who don't take the responsibility of children seriously. Strong teachings. Jesus said there in your outline, but if anyone causes one of these little ones... And he was pointing to children gathering around him who trusted me to lose faith. It would be better for that person to have a, to be thrown into a sea with a ton of bricks or a large millstone, if you will, tied around their neck. Well, well they're going to drown, preacher. Mm-hmm. You got it. Jesus does not want us to mislead children. It's a big challenge. To realize there's no guarantees, but at the same time, to take the responsibility seriously. It's a big challenge. And you look forward to the day when they're on the backside of, of being a child and a teenager to where they get married and they begin to have children and then they will look at you differently. They may never say, gosh, you were right. I mean, we live for that, don't we, parents? Don't we live for them just to one time slip up and say, you were right. Hey, I had one of them do that. I, I fell out. I fell in the chair. And they were grabbing their mouth going, I didn't say it, I didn't say it, I didn't say it. It's so fun when we can be right for once. 
Isn't it right, parents? Amen. I'm ready to go on to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Take me home now. I'm ready to go. But they do finally catch on, don't they? The sad part is that they're in the same boat you were when you were raising them. It's a cycle, vicious cycle. So let's ask this question. How do I give my children the best opportunity? I'm glad you asked that. Number one, I need to follow Jesus personally. Follow Jesus personally. Our, our verse, John eight twelve, our memory verse, says it well. Jesus said to the people, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light of what? The light that does what? Leads to life. Leads to life. Ran across an article about the worst parenting advice ever. You ready? Number three, there was three of them on the list. Number three, let them cry it out. Let them cry it out. Now, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but it was rated one of the worst ever. Here's one I know you'll agree with. Number two, only use a car seat if you're driving on the highway. Only use a car seat if you're driving on the, on the highway. I believe you're supposed to use a car seat all the time. I've tried to take Kelsey, who's big enough not to sit in a booster seat in a car, in my car in the front seat with the seat belt on. Her mother has threatened my very being if I ever attempted something of that nature. So she's in the back seat in her little seat that she gets herself into. I was going to buckle Braden in, but it's, it was too tight. So I said, look, Braden, we'll just put it together right here, but I won't put this on together. He wouldn't let me go. He said, no, 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 Grandpa, you've got, you got to put it all on there. you got to snap it I said, it's going to hurt your leg if I snap it. He said, I don't care. you got to snap it on. He started crying. I said, okay, okay. He used to tell me if I didn't put my seatbelt on, he used to say, Grandpa. I said, what? Seatbelt. I thought, man, this woman, their mother has created monsters back here. What's wrong with it? Bad advice. But here's number one. Tell them, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah, pretty bad advice, right? The best thing a father can do for his family is follow Jesus. The best thing a mother can do for her family is to follow Jesus. The best thing grandparents can do for their family to follow Jesus. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. In fact, part of the following Jesus is to admit that you're not perfect, that you need help, that you need a Savior, that you, that you also are struggling, you see. Good reminder, Psalm 127, verse 1, there in your, in your notes. In fact, let's read this one out together. Ready? Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is useless. You see, it all starts with my relationship with Jesus. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Number two, across the page there in your outline, to give my family the best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus, I pray for my children daily. Pray for them daily. If this is, a, if this is grandchildren for you or family members for you, it's, it's all the same. I pray for my grandchildren. I pray for my family. Cindy posted a picture on Facebook the other day of of me sitting with all five grandkids at Christmas time. We had such a fun time. All the moms and dads went to the movie. We had to pay for it to get them out of the house. But they, they went to the movie. And they had a great time. And so did we. 
And all the children, they got back, all the children had their legs, their, their feet, their toes, their ears, all, it was all still intact. Everything was good. But whatever sphere of influence you have, prayer really matters. I was reminded of a study that, that only 12% of families pray together each week. Just a little more of one out of ten find time somewhere in the week to pray together. One out of ten. wonder where that comes from. One out of ten families find time to pray together. And that's, that's challenging because we are all so busy. So how do we make time to pray? Well, around the table is a great way. But you know, when we go out to eat anymore, we don't, you very rarely see families praying around the table when you go out to eat. Russ Taft, the lead singer for the Imperials years ago, said when he was growing up, his dad was a Pentecostal preacher. He said, we prayed in the restaurant. He said, Dad would stand up. He said, oh, Lord, let's pray. He said, half the restaurant would stop and bow their heads while Dad prayed. <laughs> Why not? Well, we need some boldness like that again, don't we? But grab hold of the hands and pray around the table. It won't hurt you at all. It might make that Mexican food taste a little better on the backside. But, you know, just praying before we eat is not enough. We need to find time. You know, when parents will find the time to shove pizza in their kid while they're running them to soccer, when they're running them to basketball, they're running them to baseball, they're running... I mean, you're never late. You get them to practice, you're never late. What do we pray about? Look at the opening sentence of Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about... Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. Pray about everything. If you're worried, turn it to prayer. There's a lot to be worried about in our world today. I mean, really. On Republican or Democrat side, who we? Oh my gosh, what's our president going to look like next? Wow, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. How do you tell a man that he's not a Christian because he wants to build a wall when you yourself live behind a wall? And the reason the wall was built was to keep out extremists from killing you. Hmm, interesting. Pray for my family daily and my children daily. Make it a part of my life. Then number two, I involve my family in church weekly. I involve my family in church weekly. I can't underestimate the critical factor of church attendance when it comes to your children being fully developing followers of Jesus. And by having your kids or your grandkids here today, you're doing that. You're doing that. I admire you grandparents that make sure your kids are at church, your grandkids are at church. You know, we go and get these kids from the apartment. Some of them get upset. Some of them get mad. And they fight with each other. They don't know how to act in church. They, <laughs> they say some of the craziest things. Art Linkletter used to do a show called Kids Say the Darndest Things. And they do. And these apartment kids say some crazy stuff. But you know what? They're listening. They're listening. Some of them get their feelings hurt. So do I. Do you? Sure you do. We're all works in progress, aren't we? Somebody said, well, one of them cussed the other day. Well, God, he's still got a ways to go then, doesn't he? Still got a ways to go. Well, he shouldn't be using that kind of language. Okay. Still got a ways to go. Jesus died on the cross for that mouth. 
Jesus died on the cross for those bad thoughts. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and theirs. Are you going to say you're not a sinner? You better get to the cross. (laughs) The hypocrisy. As a pastor, I tell you, the hypocrisy to me is how parents so cavalierly take this idea of spiritual development in their families. Like I said, man, you... You know, you would never ever be a minute late for a soccer practice. Or heaven forbid a soccer game. And make sure they've got the same, the right stuff on, the right order of stuff, the right color stuff. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna wash it, bathe it, put it in, you're gonna do it all. Put the little stuff on their face, whatever it is. You're gonna make sure that your kid is ready to go. 10.30. That's half a day's gone by. We don't have 19 services a weekend. We've only got one. That's all I ask you to get to. Come to Sunday school if you really want to grow at 9.30. But if you just don't want, if you just want to grow some, come at 10.30. And there's people struggling. Oh, I just can't get my kids ready. Get to I can't get there on time, preacher. Just kids wore me out. I tell you, by 8 o'clock in the morning, you'll have them at school dressed, ready to go. Amen? Amen? Well, then why can't you get them at 10.30, 9.30 on Sunday morning to church house? Oh, I just, I'm just, they just wear me out. Well, beat the snot out of them, put clothes on them, and drag them up here. That's what you do on Monday morning to make sure they were at school. Oh, I can just see it now. They'll get up in the morning and go, I don't want to go. They're going to make fun of me today. You grab them by the toe and you jerk them out of bed and you throw them in the shower. Then you put clothes on them and then you beat them on the way up there and say, shut up and go to school. Amen? But Lord have mercy, let's throw it. We'll let, them, we'll, let, we'll let the kids decide whether we're going to church or not. You lazy parent. You're the one that don't want to go. So you blame it on your kids. Who really do want to go? Well, they don't like it there. Okay. Go somewhere. Go down to First Baptist. they got Disneyland down there in their children's area. Go on. If that's what you need. Or you can bring them here where you can actually talk to the youth minister. You can actually talk to the preacher. You can actually interact with us. We're not up on a pedestal somewhere. But do you care enough about your kids' spiritual development to get them at church? The hypocrisy rings loud. Dance rehearsal. Oh, you'd never miss a dance rehearsal. Well, all of a sudden, you're halfway to the dance rehearsal and they don't have their shoes. What are you going to do? You go drop that little beggar off and you tell them, wait, and you run back home and you get them shoes and you run back up there and get them. So they can dance. That's what you do. What if you get in the car and they say, oh, I forgot my Bible. Well, you don't need it. It'll be alright. Don't need it. What are we going to do with them? How are we going to teach them? Well, enough of that ranting and raving. Okay. You got my point. I hope. If you didn't. <laughs> and here's why. 83% of all Christians make their commitment to follow Jesus before the age of 14. 80 3%. Now, you may not fit into that. You may fit into the I came later. Okay. But the percentages drop drastically if the longer you wait. Why is it important? Why is Chrissy teaching a baptism class on Wednesday night to kids? How many kids we got in a baptism class? 
18 to 20. You know when we're targeting to baptize them? Easter Sunday. We'll just run them in and run them out. Run them in and run them out. Looks like the Mississippi Squirrel video. In and out, in and out. Here we go. Wouldn't that be awesome to baptize ten? To baptize one? If you will invest in your kids' spiritual development and get them to church, what a difference it will make in how you raise them at home. Get yourself to church. Get yourself to a Bible class. Study to show yourself approved unto God. The number one determining factor of a young person making a commitment to Christ before the age of 18 is that they're in church. They're hearing the message. You might think they're not listening to a blessed thing. Oh, yeah, they are. They're listening. Psalm 122 in verse 1 is a great way to make this an approach. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought the singing today was fantastic. And even the songs that Jeff was playing, you knew those of y'all were singing along with the tape song. What are you doing? You're not supposed to know these songs enough where you start singing them just out loud. What's wrong with you people? Hallelujah. Pay attention. Praise God. See, Put a smile on your face. I was glad when they said, I get to go to the Lord. I get to go to the house of the Lord. I, man, I can't wait to get there. How? I don't like it when I can't go. I can watch them on TV, but man, I sure like to get a hug, don't you? This is the hugginest place I've ever seen. Brother Ralph will hug you. Sister Geneva hug you. Sheila will shake your hand. She don't want to hug you. No, I'm just <laughs> She hugs too. Hey, everybody hugs, don't they? If Derek hugs you, you've been hugged. Amen. Fourth way. I engage Scripture in my home on a regular basis. Probably should have put that back up with prayer, but, you know, prayer and Scripture, tie, they tie together. Talk over memory verses together. Go over John eight twelve with your kids today, your grandkids today. Get them to memorize Scripture. That's all Chrissy and Kathy do back there is make them memorize Scripture. Man, they got whips and they got cat of nine tails. They're beating them back there. Learn it! Learn it! Learn it! You know, when we've had them come up front to sing, what are they singing? Scripture. Isn't it fun? That's all they're doing. Kathy Hernis, all she knows how to do is teach people how to sing Scripture. Can't she teach them anything like the Bible? They're, t- they're singing Scripture. Teach them a Bible story. You get what I'm saying. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them over and over to your children. Talk about them when you are sitting at home, when you are on your way on the journey. When you're heading to school, talk about Scripture. When you're heading home, talk about Scripture. When you're going to the soccer game, going to the dance recital, going to this, going to that, going to this, going to the church house, review the, the Scripture verse. Review it with them. Let them see that it's important to you. Do they see you with your Bible open any time during the week? Do you sit and read Scripture to your kids? Number five. I surrender my family to God completely. 
Like I said, there's no guarantees. It's true that a Christian family is not a perfect family. I just want to say that in case you grew up in a home that may have done more to push you away from God than toward God, they were doing the best that they knew how. Church doesn't have to be the enemy. Jesus doesn't have to be the enemy. But because of your free will, you decide whether it is or not. Whether He is or not. You decide that. Oh, we can keep running all we want to. Or we can adopt the verse, the power of the verse of Joshua twenty four fifteen. Let's read this one together. Ready? But if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Now, say this, this part twice as loud. Ready? But as for me and my family, we will what? Say it again. Louder. Come on. Now underline that. And then repeat that to your kids going home. And do it that loud. Say loud! Their kids going, Ooh. Mom and Dad going down nuts. Roll down the window and yell it out there. It's warm enough today. Yell it out there at the stoplight. Serve the Lord! People think you belong, you're nuts. It's okay. You listen to them sing? Roll the window up, please. Key idea. On the back there, the key idea. As I get ready to close this today. A godly home is led by godly parents. A godly home is led by godly parents. I wish I could say as a parent, if you'll just do these five things that I mentioned, I could guarantee that it would produce godly children. But children have free will. They have to make their own commitment to follow Jesus because that's the way God set it up. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says, The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are are their children after them. It's so true, isn't it, folks? It's so true that if we lead them, they will follow. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you that we have parents and grandparents that are godly people. And their greatest desire is to raise godly children. Father, I'm praying that you will bless each and every family that You will guide and direct each and every heart, that, Father, You will fill each home with Your Spirit, that, God, they will sense, they will sense in You a freedom, a consistency of love. Father, it is frustrating when we try to do the right thing and we teach our children to do the right thing and they decide to do the wrong thing. It breaks our heart, but we have to double down in prayer and pray that that free will will come back and surrender under you. Father, if there's somebody here this morning, maybe a parent that's just saying, you know, preacher, I just need a little extra prayer as I'm struggling as a parent. We'd love to pray with them. Maybe there's somebody here that's never developed a relationship with you in a personal way. Maybe for the very first time, they'd like to accept you as their Savior. Maybe there's another group of people here that see our church as the place they'd like to call their home. They'd like to join this church and be a part of that. God, whatever it is today, whatever decision needs to be made, would you move upon your people? In Jesus' name, amen. Great song, Justin.